Well, we're in uh, Genesis, but let me ask you to turn your Bibles to the book of 2 Timothy in the, the New Testament there. It's in the, the T section of the, the New Testament, if you have your Bibles there. And if you don't, feel free to, to take a Bible or uh, you can look at one on your phone or mobile device, I'm sure. Well, as you turn there to 2 Timothy 3, just a couple things I want to say this morning. First of all, I want to give a big uh, thank you. Uh, to Rachel Retz. Uh, Rachel's last day in the office was Friday. She's going to be teaching this fall at PCS. She's just been a, a great uh, friend and co-worker in the Lord uh, the last few years in her ministry there at, at Bethany Community Church, and so she's going to be missed in the office, and we're excited that her ministry is going to continue here at Bethany, but just uh, so grateful for her, her sweet spirit, her great work, and uh, just want to, to publicly thank her and Tell her she's going to be missed. Encourage you to uh, thank her for her ministry to our church and uh, offer her your prayers. As she begins a new ministry at PCS and teaching music, and just I think she's going to do amazing in that that ministry. And excited for her. Excited for the students at PCS. And then also just kind of a to put this on your radar screen. Beginning next week, we're going to be having kind of a ministry fair, and there's going to be some opportunities to. Uh, sign up for some different things and be exposed to different ministries that are going on and uh, join care group. I want to make a special plea uh, to you this morning to, to whatever other ministry you decide to be in that uh, you would also really heavily consider being involved in our children's ministries. Uh, there are just some incredible opportunities on Sunday mornings when I'm not preaching. I'm often back in the, the children's area and there's just some there are some neat kids there. It's an incredible ministry, and there's some uh, incredible opportunities. There's some holes there. There's particularly some holes in uh, the December month and kind of the months associated with that. And so there's, let, let me just encourage you to consider uh, being involved in that ministry, and you can talk to Debbie Jo Hodges about that. It is, uh, it's a neat time, new, new opportunity for our church. We have been uh, abundantly blessed with children, and you have the opportunity to help continue to make Bethany a place where children are loved, and valued, and welcomed. We want to have a church that just, just pours over these kids, and so uh, please consider being involved in that. And again, there'll be more information in the, the coming weeks about that. Well, let me invite you to stand with me this morning as we read God's Word together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we're, we're talking this today about... Last week, we're talking about Joseph and this, this special revelation that uh, Joseph receives uh, or is able to interpret. And then we've been talking about special revelation and how God reveals himself and why God reveals himself. And I just want to talk a little bit here, read a little bit here from 2 Timothy 3. Here in 2 Timothy 3, Paul is talking about false teachers and what their, what their lives are going to be like, what they're going to do. Uh, how they're going to uh, overpower people and try to creep in. And then he says this, after talking about these false teachers, he says this, this is beginning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. You, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, 
All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You may be seated. May God bless and encourage us uh, through the teaching of His Word this morning. Uh, Let's pray as we begin. Father, this morning we are uh, grateful to you for your word, uh, word that teaches and instructs us and guides us. Uh, Father, our hearts uh, would be tempted to to pursue paths that that would not bring us joy, uh, to make decisions that that would not honor and please you, uh, but because of your word, uh, you guide us in, in paths of life and righteousness and peace. We pray this morning for those in our church uh, who are, are struggling in various ways. We, we think of those who are traveling. We think of those who have been on and are on short-term trips and are returning. And we pray for them for continued fruit in our church as we think about the task of engaging in evangelism. We, we think of the, uh, the, those who are in, in places permanently to proclaim the good news of your son Jesus. We pray for their safety. We pray for uh, boldness. We pray for our church to be a great uh, source of strength and encouragement for them. And we pray for your preservation of them, uh, both in in this life and in their ministry and the life to come. We pray for those who are sad this morning, for those who are struggling, we think of with with health issues, uh, for those who are I think of those who are struggling with with parents and family members who are going through tough, tough health issues and financial issues. Pray for those who are new to our church, who are coming from hard circumstances, and just pray for uh, continued joy in you as they they seek you. And we pray just your special blessing on them. Pray your blessing on our children. We pray your blessing on the ministries you've called us to. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Some of us in a conversation have some uh, annoying tendencies, some, some habits that aren't all that, that enjoyable, and I, I'm aware of some of my own. One of the things I do that I think is kind of annoying in a conversation is I often begin a sentence with this. I say, let me tell you about this, this podcast I listened to recently. And then I launch into to some long story about something that interested me. Well, let me tell you about a podcast I listened to recently about that. And uh, actually, I'm going to tell you about a podcast I listened to recently. But it's, it's what got me into this. It's what the, kind of the first podcast I listened to. I, I listened to this radio program uh, while I was driving. I wasn't able to listen to the whole thing. I thought, that's kind of an interesting story. And so I, I went home and I, I learned how to download a podcast. It took me a little while. And then I learned about how 
how you skip parts of the podcast that aren't all that interesting. But the, the first podcast that I downloaded, this first story that I listened to, was a This American Life episode entitled something like Seven Things You Shouldn't Talk About. And the premise was there was a producer, Sarah Koenig, on the show, and she had this a mom, Mrs. Matheson. And Mrs. Matheson has a list of seven things that you shouldn't talk about in a conversation. Things like uh, your health, don't talk about your health, don't talk about the diet you're on, uh, don't talk about how you slept last night, don't talk about the travel route you took to get to a place. Don't talk about these things. And then uh, she kind of has this, this British colonial accent. She says, don't talk about those things because nobody cares. Nobody cares about your diet. Nobody cares about your health. No one cares about your sniffles. No one cares about which road you turned and which direction you turned and how long it took you to get here. People don't care about those things. And her point in, the, in these seven rules of things you don't talk about is that if you want to engage in a a healthy conversation, you should avoid topics that are self-centered and, as she puts it, quite frankly, boring. You You want to be interesting. And one of the topics that she finds boring are dreams. She says, don't talk about your dreams because nobody cares. Nobody cares about what you dreamed and how you thought your head was a pumpkin and then it turned into a, a watermelon. And no one cares about those things. It doesn't make sense. And in the, in the podcast, uh, Mrs. Matheson and Sarah Kana go to this apartment in New York City and it's, it's a dream club. And the dream club meets every two weeks and everyone gets together and they, they talk about their dreams and they kind of play excerpts from them. And it's just as, well, in Mrs. Matheson's words, unbearable as you could imagine. I was dreaming, and suddenly there was my mom, and then uh, she clutched her chest, and she fell down, and then all of a sudden we were in a pool, and then, you know, things like all of a sudden I was a bowl of spaghetti. I mean, just all these crazy, like, really bad fiction hard to follow. And then after everyone shared their dreams, they spent some time trying to interpret each other's dreams. Now, this is where it actually got a little bit interesting. I still wouldn't want to go to a dream club, but, but it was interesting. It wasn't interesting because of the dreams themselves. The dreams were every bit as, as unbearable to listen to as my dreams are when I want to tell people about what I dreamed. But what was interesting was, was the attempt to, to squeeze meaning out of them. And, and what was interesting was really sometimes the, the pain obvious in the heart of the person who was was sharing the dream. Something tragic had happened in their life. There was some sort of relationship that caused them pain. And so kind of as they're trying to process all of that, they're thinking, well, maybe in this dream, uh, I'm trying to to help myself. I'm going to allow myself to, in my subconscious mind, to give myself an answer. Or maybe God is going to, or some other higher power is going to infuse in me the knowledge I need to handle this situation or to deal with this herd. And as I listen to it, 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 does, it does make you feel very empathetic for people who are going through tough times, and all of us have been there. We've been in a situation where we've been in a, a tough spot. We've needed to make a choice, and there's, there's two choices or three choices or a million choices, and we recognize, okay, as I make a choice here, 
uh, this is going to affect the rest of my life, and so I need some sort of I need some sort of divine voice to help me know which direction to take. Or, or maybe you've been in a situation where you are just in desperate, desperate pain, and you're aching, and you're struggling emotionally, and you're struggling physically. And in that pain, in that moment of of loss and sorrow, there's this hope. I I want. God's divine voice to speak to me in some way, and, and maybe it's going to be in a dream, or maybe it's going to be in a, a series of the tremendous coincidences, and in those things, I'm going to hear God's divine voice speaking in this situation. We desperately want that. We talked about that last week. There are kind of two big thoughts that I wanted to communicate last week, and I don't think at some parts of the message I was as clear as I wanted to be. Uh, you know, Kevin Martin said that he had a word from God that it was going to be a home run. Uh, that did not happen, Kevin. Uh, stoning is kind of what we say we do to people who have God's word and it doesn't come true, but I think it was more my fault than yours. Uh, two big thoughts that I wanted to kind of shape our, our message last week, and I didn't feel like they, they came across as clearly as I would have liked about how we hear God's voice. Uh, One of the big thoughts that I wanted us to think about was the purpose of special revelation. The purpose of special revelation, the reason God has given it to us, is to point us to the Redeemer, to, to point us to Jesus Christ. That's why God gives special revelation here in the book of Genesis. In Genesis 40, 41, what's happening is, is Joseph is able to interpret God's special revelation. The purpose of that is so the people could, the Gentiles could look to Joseph and see a God's redemption through this, the seed of Abraham. And, and Moses puts the story of Joseph there in the Pentateuch so that the people of Israel can, can think, as they think about, just like there's going to be a prophet coming after Moses, we see in Deuteronomy, Moses is also saying there's going to be a redeemer like Joseph that comes afterward, and this, this prophet, this redeemer is the one who, in whom our hope lies. Salvation is found in God and in his redemption in this, this coming prophet. That's why the story of Joseph occurs there. And then that's, that's one big thought, and we see this in Acts 7 as well, this idea that Joseph is a picture of the redemption that comes in Jesus Christ. And so we want to see that the purpose of special revelation is to point us to the Redeemer. God gives us revelation so that we can see the Redeemer, so we can see Jesus Christ. Now, the second thought that I kind of wanted to develop last week and we'll develop this morning is that Scripture, God's Word written down, is a uniquely authoritative voice. All other things that happen to us, all other general revelation that exists, all other things that we encounter, coincidences, dreams, whatever it is, everything else that happens to us in life is to be viewed through the lens of Scripture, how I understand how God speaks to me and and what He's saying. All of that comes and is viewed through the lens of of Scripture. Scripture is God's special revelation to me to help me know and love and understand Him, to point me to the Redeemer, to point me to Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. God's special revelation pointing us to the all-sufficient Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and then how Scripture is uniquely authoritative to be the, the lens by which we view all other things that happen to us. Now, let me just kind of walk through the story just for a second here. Remember, remember what happened last week. Uh, Joseph is in prison. Joseph is given responsibility by the, 
the guard there in the prison, then the, the captain of the guard, we believe it's Potiphar, brings in these, these two other prisoners who have offended Pharaoh in some way. It's the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And Joseph is put in charge of meeting their needs and, and caring for them. And one night, both of them have a dream, and their dreams trouble them greatly. And so Joseph asks them to tell him their dreams, and they do so. And as Joseph tells them to tell him their dreams, he lets them know that interpretation belongs to God. The interpretation of dreams belongs to God. And so they relate to Joseph the dreams that they've had, and Joseph interprets them. He tells the cupbearer that he's going to be restored to Pharaoh's service. He tells the chief baker that he is going to die. And in three days, exactly what Joseph said would happen happens. And he asks the cupbearer to remind Pharaoh or tell Pharaoh of him. And tell, he tells the cupbearer that he's there unjustly. He says he's a Hebrew. He was taken from his land and he's done nothing wrong. Tell Pharaoh about me. And the chief cupbearer at the end of chapter 40, it says, did not remember Joseph but forgot him. Two years go by, and, jo- and Pharaoh has a dream, and in Pharaoh's dream, you know the story, there are the seven fat cows eaten by the seven thin cows, then there are the seven plump ears of grain eaten by the seven scrawny ears of grain, and Pharaoh is greatly troubled. He cannot understand the dream. None of his interpreters can understand the dream. The cupbearer suddenly remembers Joseph. Oh, right, forgot something. I'm supposed to tell you this. Tells him about Joseph. Joseph is brought out from the dungeon, from the pit, and relates to Pharaoh, again, the idea that interpretation belongs to God. Pharaoh acknowledges to Joseph, look, there's no one who can interpret this dream. Heard you could do it. Joseph says, no, no, it's not me. It's not me, it's God. I'm I'm, I'm speaking for God. And so he interprets the dreams for Pharaoh, says there's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. And Pharaoh listens to what Joseph says, and Joseph gives specific instructions for how salvation, redemption, deliverance can be experienced by Egypt. Pharaoh listens and puts Joseph in charge. In fact, Pharaoh recognizes this this unique way in which God is, is speaking through Joseph. He says to all his, his advisors, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? He says, since God, Elohim, has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. That's in verse 39 of Genesis 41. So why does God give this special revelation? God gives this special revelation so that he can be shown through Joseph, the descendant of Abraham, that he is a unique God, that he is a powerful God, that he is a delivering God, bringing salvation through his Redeemer, through his people. God is greater than the Egyptian gods. You, you can't win his favor by performing these various sacrifices. God is a unique God. He decides what he's going to reveal, and the purpose of his revelation is to show his glory through his redemption given by a Redeemer. God's special revelation points to an all-sufficient Redeemer. Ultimately, it points to Jesus Christ. So, let's kind of talk about some principles about revelation and redemption because I think it's so important for us to understand 
why God reveals himself and, and what his revelation to us means. The first thing we looked at last week is this, the truths of general revelation are available to everyone. General revelation is the knowledge of, of God that is conveyed through nature, through all things, and all of us have the ability to, to stand outside and, and look at the stars and see God's handiwork. And Romans chapter 1 tells us what can be known about God is plain. God has shown it. His invisible attributes, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly received ever since the creation of the world. So general revelation tells us that there's a God, not just some vague God in the sky, but that he's a a knowable God, that he's an eternal God, that he's a good God, that he's a kind God, that he's a, a, a creator God, gracious. He reveals these things through general revelation. The Egyptians were brilliant and had access to these things, and yet general revelation in and of itself isn't enough. It wasn't enough for Pharaoh. It wasn't enough for the Egyptians to understand how they can be delivered. It wasn't enough for you and I. And so there's special revelation. Number two, the second thing we looked at last week is this. The source of special revelation is God himself. Now, here's where in my mind last week uh, things really got uh, off track. Sometimes I've been driving. I don't know if I should say this. Sometimes I've been driving, and I've, I've suddenly realized I don't know where I am, and I'm not quite sure where I'm going. I've been thinking, and you're kind of thinking about things, and all of a sudden you look around and go, huh, I should probably turn somewhere soon. I don't know. Maybe you guys have experienced that as well. That's kind of what happened last week. I, I had a great plan as I began talking about the source of special revelation, but as I kind of kept talking, I was like, you know what? I'm not quite sure what I'm saying anymore in terms of how this relates to the other things we've talked about. It was all really, really good, but uh, this, is where, this is where I got a little turned around last week. So let, here's what I wanted to say. Here's what I wanted to say. God doesn't just give general revelation. He doesn't just give general revelation and say, figure it out. He gives special revelation. He gives special revelation. He's the source of it. He's chosen to reveal himself. And he does so in a variety of ways, but the primary way is Scripture, and we'll, we'll get back to that as we continue talking this morning. Here's the, here's the third thing I want us to talk about. The interpretation of special revelation belongs to God alone. The interpretation, understanding what special revelation means, that's, that's God's, and it's God's alone. The baker, whenever he begins to relate his dream to Joseph, he's thinking, well, the, the, the cupbearer's revelation was, was good. The interpretation was good. This will be good as well. He, he was wrong. And Joseph had warned them, hey, look, interpretation belongs to God. He tells Pharaoh, look, it's not me. Interpretation belongs to God alone. Now, when it comes to us today, here's, here's how communication works. Whenever we communicate something, there's someone who does the communicating. There's the, the medium that they use to communicate, and then there's a person who receives that communication. So whenever right now I'm communicating and I'm using my voice and you're sitting there and, and you're, uh, you're listening, you're receiving that communication, Whenever God speaks to us, one of the ways he's spoken to us is through his word. And so, so God, God communicates, and he communicates in his word, and then you and I receive his word, and we, we read it. Now, how we used to understand that, and how we should understand that is that where does, the, where does the authority lie in that communication process? 
Who gets to decide what the word means? Well, it's God. And yet in our culture today and in many uh, people's thinking as they think about how interpretation works and how communication works, they believe that the authority lies in the person who receives the communication. And so in that theory, they would say, well, I can, I can pick up the Bible and when I read it, I can decide what it means. Now, there's big examples of this, right? Literally for, for thousands of years, no one questioned what God believed about same-sex relationships when they, they picked up the Bible. And then beginning in the, the 1990s, there was just this, this brand new interpretation of what the text meant based upon what the, the reader wanted it to mean about God's understanding of same-sex relationships. But it's not just in those, those big issues. It affects us in, in what we might call smaller issues as well. So, for example, when I, when I think about how God views my attitude in a situation, or how God views my, uh, how I'm going to forgive a person, or how I'm going to talk to my parents, or how I'm going, we have God's word, and yet we think that we have the right in and of ourselves to interpret it however we want. Or here's another example of, you come to 1 Peter chapter 2, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19 It says, this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What credit is it if you, when you sin or are beaten for it, you endure? But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And so what does this mean? Well, what is God, the question I need to ask is, well, what is God telling me about suffering? Well, God is telling me that suffering is not necessarily a bad thing. It's a gracious thing from God when God puts me in a place where I'm enduring sorrow and I'm suffering unjustly. If I'm going to interpret rightly, I'm going to say, okay, God has the right to interpret my situation, and God has the right to interpret his word. I find myself in a place of suffering, and my temptation is to say, well, this is, this is a bad thing. And so I come to, to 1 Peter chapter 2, and I say, well, this, this can't mean what it, what it seems to mean, because I don't like it. I become my own interpreter of God's word and my circumstances. What does this principle tell us? The interpretation of special revelation belongs to God. God is the one who gets to interpret his word and apply it to the circumstances in which I find myself. Peter would put it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God just as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, who has the right to interpret Scripture? It's it's God and God alone. You say, Daniel, that's hard. There are some hard truths in Scripture, and I I would acknowledge that that is absolutely true. In fact, just the process of communication in general is, is very, very difficult. It's difficult, right? I've shared the story with, with a couple of you, but uh, last month or so I was, I was out on a run. I was on Kruger Road, and I'm, I'm running by this, this home, and I, I look, and I see there's an, an older man. He's, he's uh, carrying some groceries from his car to his door, and he's, he's moving very, very slowly. And so I, I run by, and uh, I'm thinking, I should really stop. 
and help this guy, but I'm timing myself right now, and I've got a good pace, and I don't know, and then I think that is so selfish of me, and then I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop, and I'm going to help him carry his groceries, and I think, what if, he, what if he's from Texas and has a gun? And he thinks I'm stealing his groceries. And I, then I imagine this headline, a local pastor shot stealing groceries from old man. And I thought that would look bad too. And I don't have my gun to return fire. So um, what should I do? And so I, I you know what, I'm just going to stop. I'm going re- to help. And so I, so I stop. And, it, you know, I'm tired. Things are already a little bit confusing. But I look and there's He's walked into his home, and there are the groceries in his trunk, and so I, the trunk's open, so I, I pick up the, the groceries, and I, I start to walk around the corner of the car, and, you know, I'm, I'm sweaty, I'm running and stuff, and then all of a sudden, I notice as I come around the corner, there's, there's his, I, I presume his wife there, and she looks at me, and she looks startled, like, why does this guy have our groceries? And I turn to explain to her what I'm doing, and as I do that, a dog jumps out of the car and begins to, to bark just ferociously. And then I step back, and then the guy steps out of his house, and he looks at the situation, he looks at me and goes, Stop it, you little rat! <laughs> I've said nothing at this point. And I'm looking at him and suddenly realize, Oh, he's talking to the dog. <laughs> right, yeah, you little rat. <laughs> and so... I, I don't know what to say. It's just, and so what I do is go, well, just getting the groceries for you. Put him down on the porch. No one says a word. And then I run off, you know. I just realized at this point, communication is pointless. There's, and as I'm running, I think, why, why did I do that? I don't even understand. Communication's hard. Communication's hard. At some points, you just have to give up. If we're going to interpret God's word, we have even more barriers sometimes. We're talking about thousands of years sometimes separating us from these texts. We're talking about people from a different culture and a different understanding of life and all sorts of gaps. But here's the deal. God still has authority over how he's going to interpret this. Our role in the process of interpretation is to see what does God want us to know How is he going to reveal himself to us? So often, our culture is like the people in Isaiah 29. In Isaiah 29, what we see is that uh, as as people are given the book of God, the the revelation of God, a person will will be given and they'll say, ah, I can't can't read it, it's sealed. I'd love to read this scroll, but it's sealed. I can't can't open the seal. Or they'll give it to someone who can't read and they'll say, oh, I'd love to read this, but I can't read. I guess I'm not responsible. Look, brothers and sisters, here's what I'm saying. Interpretation is, that God has given us, belongs to God, and at the same time, you and I have a divine responsibility to come to this word and press on and understand what it says. There's principles that can help us in this process, and I encourage you, this fall, we're going to be taking a class, I'm going to be teaching a class on how to interpret the Bible, hermeneutics, and we'll talk about context and how to understand the audience and how to read with faith in God, believing in Him, prayer, and in fact, I encourage you to consider other TGI classes, Gospel Institute classes, biblical counseling, other things. Great, great fall. Special revelation, the interpretation of special revelation belongs to God. Here's a fourth thing to think about. The purpose of special revelation is to save God's people. The purpose of special revelation is to save God's people. All of this is about salvation. All of this is about deliverance. God is sovereignly saving people. He's allowing the Egyptians to experience salvation through 
this descendant of Abraham through the ministry of this descendant of Abraham. Apart from God's special revelation of himself, they would not have known how to be delivered. The Egyptians knew when the Nile was going to flood. They knew how to track the constellations. They had three very precise calendars. They invented the sundial. They understood a lot of things. But apart from God's special divine revelation, they would, have not, they would not have known how they could have been saved from this impending disaster. It's true of all of Scripture. True of all of Scripture. Scripture provides the message by which we can be saved. Paul, writing in in Romans chapter 10, describes the, the message of proclamation. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. God's special revelation is designed to bring people salvation. The purpose of human existence is to be in Christ, to receive his righteousness by faith, to be brought into eternal relationship with God. And none of that is possible apart from God specially revealing it to to us in Scripture how we can be united with Christ through faith. Remember what we read in John 6? John 6, Jesus says some hard things. It says in John 6, 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And Jesus said to the 12, do you guys want to go away as well? And listen to what Peter says in response. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Yeah, your words are hard, but what's the alternative? We've got no backup plan. Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. You have the words in which life abundantly and everlasting is found. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There's desperation there on Peter's part. Because the purpose of special revelation, the purpose of Jesus Christ being revealed as Redeemer is to save God's people. Here's a fifth thing. The authority of special revelation is absolute. It's very striking here in Genesis chapter 41 as, as Joseph speaks, the slave Hebrew slave speaks to one of the most powerful rulers of the ancient world. He, he speaks to Pharaoh and he says, okay, here's what your dream means, and now this is what you need to do. Do this, and then do this, and appoint this guy, and gather this food. I mean, the audacity of, of Joseph is, is quite striking here, right? What gives Joseph the ability to tell this powerful Pharaoh what he's to do? Joseph's Authority is not intrinsic, it's derived. He doesn't stand before Pharaoh intrinsically and says, look, I'm telling you this is what you need to do. Joseph's authority is a derived authority, and yet Joseph recognizes, and this is very important for you and I to understand too as we think about interacting with our culture, Joseph understands that the authority that he has is from God, and he has responsibility before God to communicate God's divine word to others. 
Because it doesn't matter if you are a slave in the dungeon. It doesn't matter if you are a restored cupbearer. It doesn't matter if you are a, a Hebrew back in the land of Canaan. It doesn't matter if you are Pharaoh. You, wherever you are, are underneath the absolute authority of God. Wayne Grudem has two really helpful statements, I think, to help us understand the authority of, of special revelation. The, the first statement is this. All the words in Scripture are God's words. All the words in Scripture are God's words. All Scripture is breathed out by God, we read earlier in Second Peter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3. Men spoke from God, we read in 2 Peter chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 says, the, the Lord spoke by the prophet Isaiah. Psalm 19 talks about the law of the Lord being perfect, reviving the soul. All the words of Scripture are God's words. And then the second statement that Wayne Grudem has that I think is so, so helpful is, is the application of that. So all Scripture are, are God's words. Therefore, to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Isn't that a very powerful statement? All Scripture are God's words, and therefore to disbelieve or disobey any part of Scripture is really to disbelieve or disobey God. So, When Ephesians 6 says to honor your parents, if you refuse to honor your parents, you're not just disobeying a text, you're disobeying God. When Luke 6 says, woe to the rich, and 2 Corinthians 8 describes the Macedonians' generosity, and chapter 9 says that God loves a cheerful giver, to disbelieve that, to live in a way that's contradictory to that, is to, to disbelieve God. When 1 Corinthians 6 tells me that the sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God, to disbelieve that or to disobey that is to disbelieve or disobey God. So what does that mean? Well, a couple things, right? Again, it means that you and I need to make sure we understand what God's Word says. We need to be very careful. It also means, and this, this, is, this is very important, I think, for those of us who teach and those of us who disciple. If it's true that the authority of special revelation is absolute, I need to be very careful to distinguish my words from God's words. I need to be careful not to elevate my words to the same level of, of God's words when I'm preaching or I'm teaching or I'm discipling my kids. You know, sometimes we've told our kids, look, this is the way that our family is going to operate. This is not necessarily a, a biblical principle, but uh, just so that mommy and daddy don't go crazy, this is a rule that we're going to have. Okay? doesn't mean that's God's rule, but that's what mom and dad are going to do. Now, God's rule is that you obey us. That's, that's what we're doing. But we try to be careful to distinguish between here's what God says and here's what mom and dad say. As we live our lives and as we exhort other people to live their lives, we have to be careful that we don't become legalistic, right? That we don't elevate our words to the same level as, as God's words because God's words are absolute. So in our convictions about movies, in our convictions about parenting, in our convictions about who to vote for, <laughs> We have to be careful that we distinguish between, hey, these are, these are some biblical principles and here's how I'm 
applying them. It means we need to do what God's Word says. Then here's the sixth thing I want us to think about this morning, about redemption and God's special revelation. The sufficiency, the sufficiency of special revelation, that word means that Scripture contains all that we need to know for life and godliness. Scripture contains all that we need to know for life and godliness. Again, here's how Wayne Gruden puts it. Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and and now it contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and for obeying him perfectly. I think that's that's very, very well said. Now, here here are some principles of application, and these are kind of long. Uh, You can write down what you can. I should have had these written down, but these are some things that I have found just very, very helpful as I think about what does it mean when I say that this, when I say that the Bible has all that I need for life and godliness to live in obedience to God, what does that mean? Here, here's, here's four things that it means or applications of that. First of all, the sufficiency of Scripture should encourage us as we try to discover what God would have us think or do in a particular situation. It should encourage us, this doctrine should encourage us as we think about, as we try to discover what God would have us think or do in a particular situation. So I'm, I'm struggling with something, and, and I, have, I have encouragement that I can go to God's Word, and it's going to help me discover what God thinks I need to know. I may not have all that I think I need to know. I might have not all the specific the specific directions that I would like to have, and yet I should be encouraged. Like, God has given me this because everything I know for life and need to know for life and godliness is going to be here. I'm in pain. I'm struggling. I'm suffering. The word is sufficient. Here's another thought of application. The sufficiency of Scripture means that God does not require us to believe anything about himself or his redemptive work that's not found in the Bible. The sufficiency of Scripture means God doesn't require me to believe something that's not in the Bible about himself. In other words, if someone comes to me and says, Hey, Daniel, uh, God gave me this word, and it's about who he is, and you better believe it. The sufficiency of Scripture says, You know what? I, I know, based upon what I've, I know of Scripture, that I'm not required by God to believe something about him that's not found in Scripture. When I was in, in college, we took this Crusades class, and the professor was incredibly long-winded. And he, by the time we got to the midterm, he had covered literally 10% of the material that was going to be on the midterm, and yet we were required to know everything. And by the time he got to the end of the course, we were taking the final exam, he still had not completed all the material to get to the He just kept going, never got to the stuff even for the midterm, and now we're required to know everything. He didn't say, you know what, uh, I know I didn't teach it to you, but uh, so, so never mind on the test. We were still required to know everything. That's not how God operates. He says, look, if I haven't told you, you don't need to believe it about me. The third thing related to this, so that's what I need to believe, but it also means, the third thing, The sufficiency of Scripture also tells us that nothing is required of us by God that's not commanded in Scripture. 
either explicitly or by implication. So the, the second thing kind of goes with belief. This, the third thing here is about doing. I'm not required to, there's no commandment that's not found in Scripture that I'm required to do. I can't say, I can't, I can't someday stand before a guy and say, hey, you know what, I really wanted you to do such and such. I know it was in the Bible, but I thought you'd just kind of figure it out. I, no, I didn't. Special revelation is sufficient, Scripture tells us. You know, last week, uh, several people asked me about specific situations. They said, well, you know, what about, um, what about Muslims, for example, who've had dreams and, and dreamed about Jesus, and that's caused them to, to, to seek out God and his word? Or, or they said, what about these, I've had these various coincidences in life, and what about these coincidences? These coincidences point me to Christ. And I said, you know what, I, I don't know about these specific situations. I don't know how God uses circumstances in other people's lives, and I don't believe I'm required to know all that. I think it's absolutely possible. In fact, I would say that I believe that God has, I don't, God, I don't believe that God has spoken to me in special revelation through dreams, but I think that God has sovereignly allowed me to have some dreams that have caused me to search him out in his world. Boy, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a, a sobering dream. I need to turn to God. I think God has providentially used those things, but I don't think it's special revelation. And I don't believe I've ever received some sort of communication in a dream that I'm required to be obedient to that I haven't also received in Scripture. I don't believe that anyone else has received some sort of revelation in a dream or in a coincidence that they can't find in God's Word. Does God sovereignly, graciously use general revelation and coincidence and things like that? Certainly but the sufficiency of Scripture tells me that nothing is required of me by God that's not committed in Scripture. And then finally, and related to all this, the sufficiency of Scripture reminds us that nothing is sin that is not forbidden by Scripture, either explicitly or implicitly. So in other words, you can't say, hey, you're, you're doing this. And you say, well, I, I, yeah, I'm doing this. Well, that's sin. Well, it's not in Scripture. Well, it's still sin. Yeah, it's not in Scripture. Now, there are some things we're going to do as we try to be wise. There's going to be some things we may do by implication Scripture. And yet, this means we need to be very, very gracious with one another as we define sin as God would. So much more to, to talk about there, but, but here's, here's what I hope you see. Here's what I hope you see as we, we think about the story of Joseph. God gives Joseph this, this ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And why does he do it? He does so in order to point Pharaoh and the Egyptians and the Hebrews and you and I to a redeemer. To a salvation that only comes through the descendant of Abraham, part of the promised Abrahamic covenant. And Moses includes this story to point the people to a future prophet, to a, point, a future redeemer. In Acts 7, uh, Stephen points back to this and says, look, this is, a, this is a picture of Jesus. And you and I, as we think about why God has revealed special revelation to us, we understand he has done so so that we would believe and trust and cling to Jesus Christ. And so you're in a situation, you've got three different paths in front of you, and you're going, where do I turn? I don't know. The, the Scripture points you to the person of Jesus Christ and his all-sufficient power. You're in a situation where you're in pain and you're you are hurting this morning and you're just, I just don't know what to do. I need some sort of special revelation. God says, I've given you that special revelation in my son Jesus and my special revelation reveals to you that the pain may continue, the hurt may be real, the hurt may be profound, but in that pain, I have given you my son Jesus Christ who is your all-sufficient salvation. 
My word reveals him to you. And that is the hope, the person that we cling to by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news you revealed in this, this person of Jesus. And this morning, as I or others experience pain, we, we cling to you. As we are, struggle with the reality of being sinful people, we cling to you. We cling to your son, Jesus. As we, we struggle with how to, to walk in obedience to you, we cling to Jesus. We cling to the Redeemer. We cling to him by faith in his name, by your grace. We pray this in his name. Amen.